0: Well, amen, welcome to Two Cities Church. My name's Kyle, I'm one of the pastors here, whether you're watching online or in the lobby or in here, welcome. If you're new, we just uh, completed a series and a season in the life of our church. So we called it, we called it the Forward Series. It was the Forward Initiative, and we had two goals. Actually, here's what happened first. Uh, If you look around here, we are, I mean, look, we are out of space, right? We added seats in the lobby, Hello out there, it's full, they're waving back to me. Hello, uh, we added a service on Saturday. That's getting filled up. And so uh, we found, God opened up 10 acres in downtown in 2020 and, and we are moving forward and we said, hey, we wanna build a building, uh, but it's not about a building, right? It's a, a building is a means to an end, deeper discipleship, wider mission. So we launched this initiative. You were all, most of you were all here uh, for the whole initiative and we had two goals. The first goal was 100% participation. Well, I've got good news for you. We had 731 families so far give to this initiative. You can clap for that. Isn't that great? I mean, that represents hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. We're still getting cards and we're still getting online pledges and we're still getting gifts. And what I love is when we get these pledges, sometimes I'd pick up the card and I I couldn't read it. It was illegible, the print. And it wasn't because it was written by a doctor, okay? It wasn't because it was written by a man. It was because it was written by a five-year-old. Oh, I know, isn't that great? <laughs> True story. And, and, and then it would say things like 25 cents, $5. And so what you see is you see, wow, okay, we had, in fact, what we're going to do is at some point, we're going to tally up, because we had one of the student residents say, hey, can we figure out, well, I wanna know all the middle schoolers and all the high schoolers in our church that gave. We Because we've been having a conversation at our student ministry about how big of a part of this initiative the students are gonna be. So, so that's awesome. So the first goal was 100% participation, And we're getting there. Uh, We are there. We're excited about that. The second goal was $2 million at least $2 million in one time gifts above and beyond normal tithes and offerings to come in before the end of the year. Now, connected to that is 731 stories, right? Each of us, each of our families, every couple, every individual had their own journey of generosity. And I I wish I could. I've not been able to share, obviously, all 731 stories. Um, But each week, something happens. Like, so the the week of our commitment Sunday, young single lady meets me outside after one of the services. I can't remember what service it was. And she says, hey, I I couldn't put a number down on the card because I don't know exactly what I'm gonna be able to give this initiative because what I'm going to give to this initiative is all of the money that comes in from my side cookie business, that I have every December. And she said, and when I felt the Lord put it on my heart to give all of the money for my cookie business, I thought, oh no, December's my biggest month, right? Because none of us eat cookies in January. We eat all of our cookies in December, right? <laughs> and then we feel guilty. We don't need any cookies in January. And so I loved it because what a picture of sacrifice. That was going to be her Christmas money. That was going to be her fun money. That was going to be her going to the new year money. That was going to be extra savings. And she said, I'm going to give it all. But my favorite story so far, and I've only pulled one person for this me, okay? <laughs> I don't know what the best story was, but I've gotten to hear you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of stories. My favorite story by far so far is of a young couple, or actually a young family in our church. And on Commitment Sunday, they put a pledge card in for $50,000, five zero, young family. I thought, wow. You know, it's, it's about e- equal sacrifice, not, e- or not equal amount, but I thought, this is a significant gift for this young family to give. So I called up the husband, and I said, what's God doing in your heart for you to give a gift like that? And I loved his response. He goes, I've got to tell you the whole story. So I'm like, all right, let's go. So I, I, I'm like, I got plenty of time. Tell me the story. He says, well, he says, the Sunday that you launched the initiative, I'm sitting there and I just feel convicted in my heart. You, I feel the Lord put on my heart, you got to give $50,000. I thought, oh, wow, that's a lot of money. Um, he said, so I didn't even say anything to my wife for about a week. He says, about a week in, I say to her, Hey, honey, babe, I don't know what he calls her. Um, (laughs) Sweetheart, he he says, What are you thinking for this initiative? And he he says, She says back to him, Oh, I was thinking $5,000. And he says, I have this We're way off. I was thinking 10 times what you're thinking. He says, So then I "I had to walk her through that process together. We both got there. She was excited. He said, Then I got to call my financial advisor. He said, the story's not over. He says, I call my financial advisor. I say, hey, new plan, different plan. I want you to sell $50,000 worth of stock. Help me figure out how to do that um, because I want to give $50,000 to my church. He said, my financial advisor said, why? (laughs) Isn't it great? So he says, there I am. I'm on the phone and I'm witnessing to my financial advisor. And I'm telling about what Christ has done in my life. I'm telling about how without my community group, our marriage wouldn't be where it is. I'm talking about how much this church means to me and how much it's meant to my kids. He says, I get to witness to my financial advisor. He says, I hang up the phone and I think it's over. I've done it. You know, you kind of have that moment. It's like, it's public. I told it. My wife and I agreed on it. They're releasing the stock. It's it's done. He said, the story's not over. He said, that afternoon, the exact same afternoon, I get a phone call from my boss and I've been praying about a promotion and my boss tells me I got the promotion It's for $50,000. And I got to talk to him. I said, this is is how God works. You gave it one time. God decided to give it back to you every time. So what you gave once, God continues to give you back continuously. What a picture. Now, listen, it's because of 731, and more are coming, stories like that, that we did not just raise $2 million. That would have been a great amount of money to raise because that's a lot of money because that's almost half of our annual budget. And this is on top of just consistently generous giving. On top of that, we were able to bring in three million. I'm not done yet. <laughs> Let me get the exact number: five hundred thousand six, five hundred sixteen thousand, two hundred seventy-four dollars and six cents. Yes. I know. I know what you're thinking. Who gave six cents? I, no. It's just hot, no. Guys, this has been an incredible journey. We are going to sell it. Thank you so much. This is, this, uh, no, there's nothing hindering us. There's nothing holding us back. This is going to completely propel us into the future. And the first thing that we're going to do with all of this money, and there's going to be more, we're going to, we're going to tell you the final full number. This is what's been committed so far. We're going to tell you the final number the second week of January. But the first thing, when all the money comes in, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to tithe off of it. So I'm not real good at math, but we're going to at least give away $351,000, right? And I don't know a church that's more excited about giving money and then giving away money than our church, okay? So we're going to give away 10% of all of that. We're going to give part of it locally, part of it nationally, part of it globally. Locally, we're going to plant churches and protect unborn children. That's what we're doing locally. Uh, Nationally, we are going to to help Plaza Church. We are going to bring their building into the 21st century, okay? (laughs) And they want it. That's right. Uh, and then we are going to give to you two strategic partnerships, one in Central Asia that just started there and our continuing partnership in Mumbai. So let me just say thank you. And by the way, if you're here, if you're new and you just showed up and you've not been a part of any of this, uh, let me just share this. This is kind of maybe something I thought you never had. If you're new, you've not been a part of it, you are now today sitting in somebody else's sacrifice. Because four years ago, there was a mass, about four and a half years ago, there was a group of us that gave a significant gift, and it made room for everybody else who came after that to sit in the sacrifice of others. Because of your generosity, in somewhere in 18 months to two years, there's going to be a whole new type of person sitting in your sacrifice. So thank you. Let me pray for us, and then we are going to dive in to our, continue our series called Make Room. Lord, we just come to you with grateful hearts, Lord. We continually are reminded that you are a generous God. We say this often, Lord, that you are both a giver and a forgiver. And we want to be both. In creation, we see that you're a giver. In salvation, Lord, we see that you are a forgiver. Lord, I I, I sense today, as we publicly share what's been given so far or committed so far, Lord, I publicly feel a new sense of stewardship. I feel a new sense of maturity in the life of our church. I sense a new level of responsibility to this church and to our city and to our nation and to our world, Lord. Lord, thank you for the generous, the 731 individuals, couples, and families who made a sacrificial gift to help our church go further faster. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, you can turn on your Bible to Genesis 2, or you could turn in your Bible to Genesis 2. I'm going to meet you there in just a few minutes. So turn on your Bible, most of you, you've got a device, right? I heard back in the day they used to say that uh, pastors used to say, I'd love to hear the sound of the pages turning. Today it's, I love to see the glow of the screen on your face, okay, from your devices. <laughs> love to see that. Okay, uh, Genesis 2, I'm going to meet you there in a few minutes. We're, I got to introduce, so I got to introduce a bunch of stuff there. I got to introduce uh, the series briefly. So if you're new, we're in a series called Make Room. You might go, What's this about? You tell us move forward and then you tell us make room. are not they the opposite? I mean, what's it about? Well, it's about both, right? You have to move forward. That last series was all about us as a church and you individually moving forward, right? Because you were meant to climb hills. You were meant to have a burden on your back. You were meant to do great things for God. This is why we always say here, the most dangerous person in the world is a bored man. Stay away from him. A bored man is dangerous to himself. A bored man is dangerous to his wife. A bored man is dangerous to his children. Stay away from a bored man. Now, what you want to do is you want to say, okay, I need to move forward, which means I need to put the heaviest backpack on my back, and I need to find the, the steepest hill I can climb. I need to find a few people to climb with, and we need to head up together, and that's what we do. But then every once in a while you get to the top of the hill and you go, we need to Stop. We need to look down, we need to rest, we need to remember, we need to reflect, we need to relate, we need to to calm down a little bit. And so this series we're calling Make Room or you could say it's all about margin. And if you know this, if you're gonna have a relationship with your kids, if you're gonna have a relationship with your spouse, if you're going to have meaningful friendships, if you're going to have a devotional life, if you're going to actually pray, if you're going to journal and be self-aware at all of what's going on in your heart and mind, you're going to have to make room and have margin. And so we're taking a season, and we're calling the series Make Room. Here's what it's about. If you're, if you're in the business world, or you don't just have to be in the business world, you've maybe heard of this before. We're focusing in this series on what's called important things, but not urgent things. So, right, fasting never seems urgent, but it is important. We tend to spend all of our lives in two categories. What is not urgent and not important, streaming services. Social media, scrolling randomly, goofy hobbies. It's like we spend so much time in what's unimportant and not urgent, and then because we do that, we go, oh, my goodness. Then we we switch over, and it's important and urgent, right? So we've been wasting our time, so we're not ready for our presentation for work or we're not ready for our exam for school. And so we, we constantly go back and forth. This whole series says, listen, we want us, we, we want to see that scripture reveals that God has given us many things that he said, this is important, but it's not going to call out as being urgent. They're called spiritual disciplines, right? The whole Christian life is about discipline, independence, discipline, independence. And you might go, well, why do we need disciplines? And here's why you need discipline, because you are full, and I am full, of a bunch of different desires, right? There's hungry you, and there's angry you, and there's tired you, and there's sexual you, and there's bored you, and there's entertain me you, and there's a lot of, what do we do with yous, (laughs) right? There's a lot of yous. And it's like, the answer is, the way that I discipline gets my desires going in the right direction. That's what discipline does. And so last week, Pastor Stephen did a great job talking about fasting. This week, I'm going to talk about Sabbath. Now, it's interesting. Of all of the spiritual disciplines, the Sabbath is the only one that makes God's top 10. So none of the other spiritual disciplines. In fact, isn't it interesting? So when I say God's top 10, if you don't know what I'm talking about, the the, the 10 commandments. We'll get there. We're actually going to be in two places today, Genesis 2 and Exodus 20. But uh, of all of the spiritual disciplines, only the Sabbath makes the top 10. It's number four. And interestingly, it's the only of the 10 commandments that's stated positively. It's the, only of the, it's the longest of the 10 commandments. And so here's, here's what we're going to talk about today. We are going to talk about the need to work and rest. And I don't know which one you're going to need to hear, right? My, my job is always to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. So when we're gonna to look today at six days you shall rest, one day, or sorry, six days you shall work, one day you shall rest. Some of you are going to need to hear the call to work, some of you are going to need the call to rest. But we all know, you know this. Even before I get into and I show you a verse on Sabbath, you know that you need to work and to rest, right? It's built into your daily rhythm. Do you know that you spend a third of your life sleeping in a bed unconscious? It's kind of humbling. It's like, I lived 90 years. No, you live 60 years, you slept for 30 years. <laughs> That's actually what you did. It's kind of a humbling reality to think about. Have you ever pulled an all-nighter? It's horrible. Not sleeping. So not letting someone sleep is a form of torture. What is the hardest thing about having kids before they turn like a year old? They don't let you sleep, right? You're going, you're like, I'm taking crazy pills, I feel crazy all the time because I'm not sleeping. Okay, so you need to sleep daily. We all know that. We, we, we might try to, we, right? We've all tried to, you know, how little can I sleep? And then you get sick. It's like, no, no. Everybody knows that daily we need to work hard and sleep. We work for 16 hours, we sleep for eight hours. We work for 16 hours, we sleep for eight hours. But I want to show you that it's actually something that we don't just do daily, that it's something that God has said, for your good, we should do weekly. So with that said, turn with me, to Genesis chapter two, verses one and two. Here's what it says. So this is interesting. Genesis one is a story of creation. Genesis two is another story of creation. Uh, Genesis one is if you were like looking at Google Maps and you see everything really big. Uh, Genesis two is if you double click and zoom in and you see, you see a more detailed uh, version of it. So here's what we're going to see. Let's look. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished And all the host of them. And this is the second chapter of the Bible. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So here we are in Genesis 2. And you might go, all right, so uh, we are not going to to be given the Sabbath as a rule until Exodus 20. That's 70 chapters in. But we see it as a rhythm in the second chapter. It's not going to be given as a mandate. You must Sabbath, remember the Sabbath for 70 chapters, right? But it is modeled by God in chapter two. And it's interesting. If you like think about it theologically, like it'll hurt your head. You're like, well, why is God resting? Right? It takes the whole Bible to make the whole Christian. So you read the rest of the Bible. You're like, well, God never sleeps. It's like, okay. In fact, the whole idea is you can rest because God doesn't rest. And that's, so it's like, Wait a second. All right, he has, he has all the energy in the world. He's, he, he doesn't get tired. So why does he rest? It's like, oh, he's modeling this for us. This is it. And in fact, I get really excited about this. In verse three, we get the key to the Sabbath and the big idea for today. And I think something that really could change your family, I mean this, and could help you have a marathon mindset for your life, How do you do this over a long period of time? Look look at this. So there's always, by the way, there's always two words that show up in the Old Testament when God talks about the Sabbath. Let's see if we can find them. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. So two words that show up almost every time the Sabbath is talked about. In fact, when we get to Exodus 20 in a minute, we're gonna flip over there. You're gonna see him again. It's the word blessed and it's the word holy. Now, what does blessed mean? Right, we, we use that word a lot of different ways. A lot of times we're using it rightly. Like if something happens and you go, something good in your life happens and you go, it's a blessing from God. Here's what you mean. Here's what, this is what this is the right idea of blessing. It's a gift. So what, and this, Jesus says this, right? The Sabbath is a gift. It's for you. The Sabbath was created for you not you for the Sabbath. You, the Sabbath, uh, you don't serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath exists to serve you. So the first thing that we need to see about the Sabbath is that it is a gift because God is a giver and God is good. But here's the second word, and this is what changes everything. It says that the Sabbath is holy. Now, what do you think of when you think of holy? Do Do you think of like Puritans? Do you think of jean skirts? I mean, I don't know what you think of, depending on the culture you grew up in. Like, what does, what does holy mean? Is holy all about what you don't do? That's not what holy means. Let me give you the, the, by the way, this is the first time the word holy comes up in the Bible. But we know because God is called holy, here's what holy means, different. Holy means unique. So he, here's what God's saying. This is it. This is Genesis 2. If you'll get this and embrace this, I, I believe this could change your family. This could change, this, this could make you a healthier, happier, holier human, okay? here's what it is. God says, I'm giving you a gift. It's a day that's unique and different. So here's, here's the big idea for the sermon. Here's the big idea for the passage. Here's the big idea for today. You need a day that looks different each week. That's it. If every one of your days looks the exact same, you check your email every day, you make the same phone calls every day, you go into the office every day, you think about work every day, you're working on your house every day, whatever it is. If every day looks the same, you're not obeying the Sabbath because God says, I want to give you a gift. It's a day that looks different. And, and, here's, and actually, God puts it into his law. We'll see this in a second in Exodus chapter 20. Now, here's the principle behind the Sabbath. And it's the principle behind all of God's word, but this is helpful to know. Um, if you break God's law, it breaks you. That's just what, So people think, I can break God's law. Well, you can, and then it'll break you. And you ask the addict. Ask the addict if how he or she is doing by breaking God's law. I know how they're doing. It's breaking them. It's breaking their body. It's breaking their soul. And here's, here's, here's the idea behind this. If you do not take a voluntary Sabbath, you will take an involuntary Sabbath. If I could take us all over to Wake Baptist Hospital right now, I could take you to some rooms where people are taking involuntary Sabbaths. It's happening at Novon Hospital. It's people who they didn't take care of themselves for years and years and years and they became overstressed, over-anxious, overworked. They, they need a triple bypass surgery, and they had a heart attack, and they have not been taking care of themselves. And so God's very clear. If you do not take, if you do not receive this gift, and you do not make a day that looks different in your calendar each week, if it's going, you can't break God's law. It's only going to break you. And if you will not learn how to build into your schedule a voluntary Sabbath, I promise you, one day from now, you're going to be taking an involuntary Sabbath. You're like, why am I sick all the time? Why am I missing work all the time? It's like, you have not taken a voluntary Sabbath. So now you're taking an involuntary Sabbath. Let's, let's look at it. Go to Exodus 20. I don't normally have us go to two different places, but I want us to see this. So as you turn to or type to Exodus 20, Exodus uh, 20. I want you to see that in Genesis 2, the command is modeled. In in Exodus 20, it's mandated. In Genesis 2, it's a rhythm. In Exodus 20, it becomes a rule. So let's look at it. Exodus 20, verse 8, it's the longest command of the Ten Commandments. Let's just read it verse by verse together and talk about it. It says this, remember the Sabbath day, here it is again, to keep it holy so it's interesting it's the only command that we're told to remember it doesn't say remember not to lie remember not to commit adultery remember not to steal and i think it's because it's the only command that we break and we don't feel guilty do you feel guilty when you break it do you feel guilty when you work all day 7 days a week we tend to feel guilty when we lie we tend to feel guilty when we get lustful and start looking at things we shouldn't look at we tend to feel guilty when we use somebody else's password for Netflix, oh, you don't feel guilty about that, do you? You should feel guilty about that. You're like, is that illegal? Is that wrong? Is that stealing? Yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I said it last night. I was like, is that is that is that wrong? Yeah, that's wrong. Um, um, so, we, but we don't. We tend to not feel guilty when we break this l- rule. In, in fact. <sighs> You know, our nation—I'm not saying our nation is a Judeo-Christian nation—but we, we did have blue laws for a long time, and they are still in certain places. Blue laws were laws that tried to make Sunday be a different and distinct day. Hey, the liquor stores are closed, or businesses aren't—certain businesses aren't open, or everything's closed by five o'clock, or nothing opens till noon. And by the way, blue laws—I didn't know this until this week. Blue laws um, came out of uh, the idea with the, when the Puritans moved here to America they wrote their Sunday restrictions on special blue paper so everybody could see what they can't do on Sundays. So that's how we got the idea of blue laws. Now, if you go to Israel today and you were to go and and you were to go to Israel and you were to, to watch them on their Sabbath, which goes from Friday night till Saturday night, they still, Orthodox Jews, still strictly keep the Sabbath. I mean, all the markets are closed You got to get, it's very, very busy right until sundown on Friday night. You've got to, the markets are exploding and and then everything closes down. In fact, I I heard a pastor who was in Israel. He said in his hotel that he was in, there was a Sabbath elevator. And I heard this is common that you actually go into, if if there's an elevator, you'll go into the elevator and on Friday night and Saturday all day, there's a Sabbath elevator. It stops at every floor because you're not allowed to hit any buttons on the Sabbath because it's considered doing work. So you feel bad for the guy who lives on like the 28th floor and is an an Orthodox Jew, okay? He's just waiting, okay? But the whole idea is they, we don't even, it's hard for us to imagine in America because we don't take anything this seriously. But they're very serious about taking a Sabbath, having a day that looks different, and resting. Let's continue on. Here's what it says. Here's here's actually the command, Uh, verse nine, six days you shall labor and you and do all of your work. So the first part, we'll get to the Sabbath in just a second. The first part is to work hard because six days, it's like, how did we get two days off? You know, it's a really a modern idea. It's a Western idea. How did we get Saturday and Sunday off. Well, when our nation was founded, they couldn't decide whether to give us the Jewish Sabbath or to give us the Christian Sabbath. So they gave us both of them. Thank you Moses, thank you Jesus. <laughs> right? <laughs> I love it. So, so but but here but the, the principle is you actually we're going to get to this in some practical things. You actually cannot take a Sabbath you really cannot have a day that looks different. You cannot take a day off. You cannot rest and refuel and relate like you need to if you don't work hard the other six days of the week. So here, here's, you know, most, for almost all of human history, people worked at least six days a week, if not seven days a week, from sun up to sundown. We uniquely have lots of discretionary time and discretionary income that other people didn't have. But here's the principle of scripture that we've talked about before. Labor creates leisure. That's the principle. So it's six days you shall work, right? You, you can't take a Sabbath if you're being lazy all week. You have to work really, really hard. It's interesting. In Exodus chapter 16, when the, when the manna comes from heaven, God basically says, I'm paraphrasing, you're going to have to work extra hard on the sixth day so that you can rest on the seventh day. We'll get to some practicals in a little bit, but you better clean your house the day before the Sabbath. You better put the email reminder up that you won't be available the day before the Sabbath. You better think about the meals that you're going to eat the day before the Sabbath. You got to work extra hard the day before the Sabbath so that you can take a Sabbath. Now, the principle here is that labor creates leisure. Now, here's the thing. It's the dignity of work. Now, you may all know this, but but lots of people don't know this. That work is a good thing. That work is pre-fall. In other words, Genesis 1 and 2, there's work. There's two types of work. I'm being oversimplified, but there's physical work and there's intellectual work, right? They're both in the garden, right? Because God said to Adam and Eve, I want you to cultivate the garden and I want you to subdue it, right? That's that's physical labor. Oh yeah, and Adam, I need you to name all the animals. Oh, intellectual work. Oh, okay, so there was physical work and there was intellectual work done by perfect people in a sinless world. In fact, I hope you like work because you're going to work in heaven, <laughs> Work is a good thing. Now, what happens because of sin and the brokenness and the fall and the curse, and that's all Genesis chapter 3, work becomes more difficult. Work works against you. The creation works against you. Things break down. Things don't go as you had planned. Everything's more difficult than you want it to be. But work is a good thing. And, and I don't know, again, in a room like this, I don't know who needs to hear you need to work hard and who needs to hear you. Know, some of you are lazy and you need to, hear, you need to work hard, Right? Some of you are workaholics and you need to learn how to rest. Like if you are still living in your parents' basement as an able-bodied person, you're lazy most likely. If you're still trying to stay on your parents' healthcare because you just don't want to work. If you're constantly procrastinating and wanting everybody else to take care of you, there's a good chance that you're a lazy person. And what we want, to, Christians need to be the hardest workers. We want to be, I want everybody who's a part of Two Cities Church, I want people back, I don't even know what they believe. I don't, they may believe the craziest things, but I need to hire them because they're the best workers. Now, so much of the meaning in your life is going to come. It's one of like five or six. There's only like five or six things, just so you know, that bring meaning to your life. Work is one of them. You don't want to miss out on it. I mean, learning how, it's like, man, you, want to, you want, we want to talk to, and I say this because a lot of us have young kids. A lot of us have teenagers. Tonight, I'm going to speak about this a lot to our college students. It's like, all right, what should you do with your life? It's like, well, why, well how about restraining evil? What, would that be exciting? Why don't you restrain evil for a living? Figure out how to do that. Maybe I'll be a police officer. Okay, that'd be great. You'd restrain evil. That'd be awesome. Well, there's a lot of chaos. How about you bring order? Well, maybe I'll be a lawyer. Maybe I'll bring an engineer. Great, do that. How about this? You don't know what you're gonna do? How about trying to alleviate suffering in the world? There's way more suffering in the world than there should be, and you could do something about it. So much of your meaning, not all of your meaning, much of your meaning in your life is going to happen in work. So there's the dignity of work, but then we need to learn how to rest, right? You know you're a workaholic if you're emotionally numb. If you have no emotional bandwidth, you're a workaholic. That's one of the signs of workaholic. You have escapist tendencies. You drink too much, you eat too much. You're always looking forward to your next vacation. You're a workaholic. You're irritable. You're hypersensitive. Your spouse keeps telling you you work too much. There's both ends of this. So, so let's look at the command. Verse 10, here's what it says. It says this, okay, here it is. But the seventh day... Verse 10 here, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. To the Lord your God, on it you shall not do any work. And look, he gives this to everybody. It's a gift to everybody. You, or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or your sojourner who's in, who's within your gates. For, and look, he roots it back in creation. For, and we just read this in Genesis 2. In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord, here's those two words again, blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Now, before the people of Israel, before the Jews, we have no record of any society, any culture, or any civilization ever giving their people a day off. It was God's idea. If you don't know this, during the French Revolution, they said, we're going to get rid of a day off. And the French had to add it back because there was a public health crisis. During the Soviet Union, dur- during the time of the Soviet Union, they moved from a seven-day work week to a 10-day work week when they gave you a day off every 10 days. They had to go back because of a public health crisis. It's a rhythm built into creation. Now, here's what's interesting. How do, you, how do we measure a day? By the Earth's rotation. How do you measure a month by the moon cycle? How do you measure a year? Taking us back to science 101 here, but by by the earth rotating around the sun, how do you measure a week? You don't. God made it up. It was God's idea. He built it into creation. Every seven days, you need a break. And if you try to break God's law, it's just going to break you. Now, Sabbath literally means stop. Stop. In fact, it doesn't even mean rest. We'll get there. You can't rest until you stop. Stop answering emails. Stop doing the things that you do all the time. Stop. Here's the big stop. Stop acting like everything depends on you. Stop acting like you're God. Stop acting like you ultimately provide and protect yourself. Stop. In fact, every time this week you drive and you see a stop sign, think Sabbath. (laughs) You're not going to be able to escape it all week. Here we go. No. Um, So we need to stop. And it's only once we stop that we can do all of the other things. Now, here's the question. Why won't we stop? Right? It's supposed to be a gift. Why won't we stop? I think the main reason is it's pride we think that everything ultimately depends on us and and hear me say this you are very 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 important to your family and your close friends and your loved ones but when you die and when you die they're going to be super sad and it's going to never be the same for them and everybody else will move on and the world you will be surprised the world will just continue to go and the company that you work for will continue to go and the business you work for and the hospital you work for and in the city of Winston-Salem will continue on. And it's good for us to know that. We have a lot of pride put, put together in our work, right? What do we ask people? What's your name? And then what? What do you do for a living? And, and, right? And, and they, they've shown this. They've done some kind of mock studies. And they show you that busyness is actually a status symbol now. Right? If if the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. They they did this study where they gave people Bluetooth devices to put in their ears or Apple AirPods, and people thought they were of higher status if they were on the phone all the time. If I'm busy, I must be important. Nobody wants to come to work on Monday. What'd you do this weekend? Nothing. (laughs) It's Friday. What's your plan for this weekend? doing nothing. You know, it's like, we don't, we don't want to ever say that because it's like, well, then who would I be? If I'm not, it's it's an identity issue. It's an anxiety issue. We're trying to provide for ourselves. We're trying to be God for ourselves. Here's the, here's the coolest principle. Here's what, if you hear maybe only one other thing, so two things today, one, a day that looks different, you need that. If you break God's law, it's going to break you. But the second thing is that what God loves to do is he loves to give to you by taking something away. It's the upside down, inside out nature of the kingdom of God. God says, I'm going to add to your life by subtracting from it. It is a deep idea. Listen, the Sabbath and the tithe are the same thing. That's it. God's saying, I dare you to trust me. Do you believe that I can do more with 90% committed to me, the 90% left over after you've tithed, than with 100% of you figuring it out by yourself? Are you willing to trust me that I can do more in six days? It's going to be a busy six days. But I can do more with your six days, if you'll devote them to me and rest and trust and humble yourself, than with seven days you trying to figure it out yourself. I mean, look at Chick-fil-A. Right, I mean, I don't know a ton about the fast food business, but all I know is that Chick Fil A is far way ahead of whoever's in second place. Right, and what now? If you're ever traveling on Sunday, and you see a Chick Fil A, you have two thoughts. Oh man, it's Sunday, <laughs> right? worry, <laughs> I'm so hungry for Chick Fil A on Sunday. But the second thought that you have after you get after you repent and you know, ask the Lord for forgiveness, <laughs> right? The second thought that you normally have is like, wow, they're like trusting in the Lord. Like, what? You, like every person who doesn't know God has to go, what is your value system? Because don't you know that Sunday is one of the busiest travel days in the nation? You fool. Don't you understand how much more money that you could make if you were open just one more day? Or think about Hobby Lobby. Do you know the Green family who owns Hobby Lobby? Do you know that they basically paid for the Bible Museum in DC? Okay, so think about this. They're closed every Sunday. They're one of the most generous families in the world. They get it. They figured it out. You think there's not a connection? God says, if you'll trust me with six days, I'm going to bless you way more. And if you'll be incredibly generous, and you'll give me your first and your best and your only, I'm going to bless you. And the Green family is a massive sign that that is true. And so the question is, practically, what does it look like to have a day that looks different? Well, first of all, you have to give up on the idea of balance. Balance is not a biblical idea. Balance is not a biblical reality. You're going to fight a lot in your home if it's always about balance. Why just feel like we're busy this week? Why just feel like I don't ever see it? We're done with balance. Balance doesn't exist. Balance isn't real. Balance doesn't happen with three kids in the home or four kids in the home. Balance doesn't happen with committed lives. Rhythm does. Rhythm is we are crazy busy, but we are carving out a day a 24-hour period, and we're going to work really hard, and we are going to protect and plan for it. Let me give you a couple practicals on Sabbath, and the Mercer household is messy and inconsistent with keeping the Sabbath, um, but what but, but for us, when it's good, it's been good, and, and what we do is, and what I'd commend to you is to pick a 24-hour period of time, and to start, if you can, I don't have, again, I'm not, I don't mean to give you a lot of rules because the, the, the Pharisees had a bunch of rules, and it got weird, you know, and if you read the New Testament, you're like, calm down about the Sabbath. Like, if you ever go a Sabbath day's journey, they made that up. If you read a New Testament they talk about a Sabbath day's journey, the Pharisees made that up. They made a distance. I think it was a three quarters of a mile, and they called that a Sabbath day's journey. And they said, oh, on the Sabbath, you can't walk more than you know, 0.75 miles. Like, what? But they just made up rules. This is what religious people do. I want to give you tools, not rules. But here's a couple helpful tools. It's helpful, especially if you have kids, to talk about the Sabbath beforehand and to do something symbolically to start the Sabbath. It doesn't have to be expensive. I, all these ideas, I didn't come up with myself. I got them from somebody else. Um, but starting with lighting a candle is helpful. Hey, we're just gonna. This is the way we're gonna begin it. It's five o'clock, or it's four o'clock, or it's six o'clock, and uh, for the next twenty-four hours, we're just gonna. While we're awake, where this candle's gonna be lit as a reminder that this is a special day. For our family, we love. We got this idea from somebody else. We love starting the Sabbath with a charcuterie board. Now, I know. I know some of you go. That's an adult lunchable. Okay. <laughs> I actually really, really like it. We'll go to to Trader Joe's. We'll get the good cheese. We'll get the good meat. We'll get the good nuts. We'll get the good fruit. And we will make a really, and the kids will be a part of it, and we'll make a big security board. What we love about it is it's something special. It's got a variety of tastes. It's very communal. Everybody's kind of a part of it, making different things. It's a lot of fun. Once you start the Sabbath, the Sabbath has three purposes, okay, practically. And you just, it's, it's rest. It's relating and it's refueling, but do that however you want to, right? Rest, it's like, okay, well, I've been told that if you work a lot with your hands, you wanna rest with your head. And if you work a lot with your head during the week, intellectual work, you might wanna rest with your hands. But the principle is a rest that is really more about remembering and refocusing. See, the purpose of a Sabbath is to stop and basically go, because what does God do after the six days? He looks on his work and he says, it's good and he's thankful basically here's what part of sabbath is sabbath is stopping every seven days and going all right i've complained a lot this week i wish i made 10 grand more but i actually have a really good life lord thank you my kids have been really hard this week they've driven me driven me crazy there's been some discipleship issues whatever discipline issues but when i take a moment on my sabbath and i just sit back i realize i got a great family you might on your sabbath go man our marriage is hard and we've been having some conflict, but we just actually have a moment here to just sit down and think about each other for a moment. We're not working on, We're not working in our lives. We're, 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 maybe we're journaling, we're thinking about it. We realize it's been a hard 20 years, but it's been a good 20 years. It's, it's a moment to just reflect, to refocus. I'm not saying you have to journal, but if there's one day a week you did journal and you wanted to actually think about your life, that would be it. Secondly, it's about relating. Everybody's going in different directions. This happens more as your kids get older and they're in activities and they're in athletics and they're in academics. Is, and you're busy, maybe, and you're traveling and you've got commitments. What does it look like to have a day that looks different where you relate? This is why, again, this is not a rule, but a lot of people I've read have recommended to really limit devices. To really limit screens and streaming and social media on this day so that you can have face-to-face time with your spouse. And face-to-face time with your kids, and you would be amazed how significant one—even if dad and mom are busy all week—if Sabbath is a day that's coming where they can relate. And it's not that we just relate to each other; we relate to God. We worship, we pray, we sing. That's why a lot—most of you—will probably end up taking a Sabbath on a Saturday or a Sunday. This is why the worship service is often a part of it for people. Hopefully, this is a time to to be to relate and to to uh, worship thirdly it's about refueling so what so in other words another way people say it it's it's rest worship play rest worship play rest worship play that's your sabbath so what what refuels you now it's going to be different so some of you you love gardening and that would refuel you that would drain me i (laughs) would i would prefer somebody else garden for me and bring me that food that would be great amen now for me if it's a nice day out i would love to go on a long run that would be refueling for some of you, if we see you running, something is dangerously wrong. <laughs> the cops are after you, something's t- right? You're going to have to find out what is that thing? What are those things that are refueling and life-giving to you? Because the, the, how it works, if you look at the full pattern of the Sabbath, it's that you work really hard, and then you rest from you, your work simultaneously. You're resting for your future work. Right? And what, what people would say is I, in, a healthy, in a healthy family, in a healthy couple, in a healthy individual, you find, figure out how to divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. Divert daily. What is one thing you can do each, each day? Just a little bit to rest, to relate, and to refuel. Maybe it's something you can do for 30 minutes or 20 minutes a day. We just talked about what it is weekly. And then as you, get a, as you get a family and stuff, or as you get married, or you can do as a single person as well, what, how do you abandon annually? What are the one or two times a year that you're going to get away for a longer period of time for rest, for relating, and for refueling? Because all of this, by the way, when you read it, it's interesting. In, in uh, Exodus 20, the first time the 10 commandments are given, I read it to you. He says, the reason that you should rest and have a Sabbath, he points back to creation. And I won't take you there, but if you look with your community group, in Deuteronomy 15, I believe it is, it's the second time. Because Deuteronomy, by the way, means second law. The second time that we're given the command uh, to Sabbath, it's the same command with a different reason. The reason is not creation. The reason is salvation. It'll say rest because God has delivered you. See, this day is to really point to our Deliverer, Jesus, the Sabbath exists actually to point to our Savior Jesus. Because listen, here's the truth. Jesus Christ, we, we often will say here, we are not saved by works. That's a classic Christian belief. What's well, actually not true, technically? You are saved by works, just not your works. You and I are saved by the works of Jesus Christ. We are saved by his sinless, perfect life. We are saved by his substitutionary death. We are saved by his victorious resurrection which is why we are always reminded that he has done all of the work so we can rest. The call to salvation, by the way, is a call to ultimately to rest. Because what happens is if you, if you are stuck, and we have this happen at our church all the time, people are stuck in religion. There's no rest in religion. If you are stuck in religion, it's all about performing. It's all about pretending. It's all about earning God's favor. There's no rest in that. Instead, we turn to Jesus and say, it's about receiving what Jesus has done. Some of you, we try to find rest in rebellion, right? Maybe some of you, what you need to hear today is please stop making some sin your Sabbath. You don't raise your hand, but how many of us, we've done that? Your Sabbath is overeating. Your Sabbath is getting drunk. Your Sabbath is looking at things you shouldn't look at. Your Sabbath is spending money you don't have on things you don't need. Your Sabbath is texting him again even though it's an unhealthy relationship. And what Jesus says is, listen, there is no rest in religion. There is no rest in rebellion. There is only rest in a relationship with Christ. I don't know if you've been blessed enough to have someone in your life who is just a life-giving person. You're like, when I'm around him or when I'm around her, They are a joy. They are a life-giving. They refuel me. I am a better person because of it. That's who Jesus Christ is. He is ultimately our Sabbath rest because of what he has done. We now, yes, we are to work six days in rest one, but we are to never work for our salvation. Jesus Christ has done all the work for us. Let's go to him in prayer. Where we come to you right now. And I just want to give us a moment together to just confess where we tend to find rest. What sin for you becomes the Sabbath? Let's just take a moment just to repent and say, Lord, I don't want to go there for rest anymore. I don't want to rest ultimately in creation, I want to rest in my Creator. I don't want to make sin my Sabbath. And let's just take a moment and just think to yourself and talk to the Lord about it. What what could a day that looks different look like for you? What does a healthy rhythm of six days you shall work and one day you shall rest look like for you and for your family? Lord, we just give you our lives, Lord. The Sabbath is a reminder that you care about our time. You care about our to-do list you care about our schedules, you care about our calendars, you care about our weeks, you care about our days. Lord, may this be a church, may we be a people that really know how to work hard for the glory of God and rest hard for the glory of God. Lord, may you use the Sabbath to strengthen us, to make us healthier, happier, and holy, holier Christians. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.